Welcome, everybody, to the He Said, She Said podcast, episode nine. I'm your host, Reality Steve. As always, joined by my co-host, Ashley Spivey. Ashley, how are you? Doing great. How are you, Steve? Oh, you know, I'm good. Uh, we, we've got some, we've got two calls today that are, um, I don't want to say get your Kleenex out, but no, I do. I you know, cry I, through most of I one. Know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you definitely obviously were affected by, by one because it was, it hit very close to home for you. Um, but both I think are just, uh, two, we have Lauren in New Jersey, excuse me, Lindsay in New Jersey who had a very interesting, uh, thing happen with her pregnancy something that I don't think I've really ever heard of before. I mean, I'm sure obviously it's happened, but I've never spoken to somebody who went through something like this. And then Lauren in Chicago, the one that you uh, have a very similar story to, um, fathers who passed. And, yeah, it's it's very sad, but I think uh, certainly something that anybody listening, uh, if they've dealt with it or know somebody, uh, it certainly can help, I would think. Yeah, I think both of these calls are both topics that a lot of people will be able to relate to. I think these are two of the most relatable yet sad calls we've ever had. Yeah, and so before we before we start out with these calls, I wanted to talk on a little like brighter side since they are pretty sombering uh, phone calls. Um, Talking about Sunday routines, and you had mentioned to me that you and Steve have uh, an interesting Sunday routine. Why don't you share that with everybody? Well, no, I just I think it's something funny because all of our friends like doing things on Sundays, or they have these like these outings that they go on, or like they go get brunch together, or something like that. And Steve and I, as soon as we wake up on Sunday, he goes in the living room and he watches TV and I stay in the bedroom and I watch TV and we don't talk to each other. We just text each other. (laughs) (laughs) You text each other from the other room? Pretty much. Well, he's obviously doing it to watch Eagles games, right? Or even even the games when the Eagles aren't playing, he's watching football, I'm assuming, on Sundays. We do this even when it's not football season. Oh, okay. So Sundays yeah. is your days apart yet together, sort of. Yeah, we we reconvene for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> so what? how did this come about? Did it just happen one time and you're like, this kind of works for us. Let's keep doing this. Did you? Yeah. That's I mean, I feel like it probably came from him watching Eagle stuff and Jackson just gets really freaked out by all his yelling at the game. Oh. So I usually just kept Jackson in the other room with me. And then, yeah, we just kind of <laughs> shut him out, let him do his own thing. And so how how long would you say this has been going on? A year? Longer? Oh, no. Our, like our whole relationship. Oh, Jesus. Six years? <laughs> Six years? This <laughs> is... And it's like every Sunday? I mean, for the most part? Every Sunday. I mean, unless we like have to go to an Eagles game together. But I actually think it's really nice because like we can really just do our own thing. I can like watch a show without him like not wanting to watch it. And he can watch Eagles without me not wanting to watch it. Yeah. Have you ever, obviously you said your friends don't do that. They all go out or have a brunch or whatever. But have you ever heard of any other couples that do something similar? 
Not really. And I mean, I guess it came up because we were talking about it yesterday um, because all of our friends were going to marathon parties. And we were just like, oh, that sounds awful. Marathon parties. <laughs> yeah, because the New York marathon was yesterday. Oh. Oh, that's right. I did see. I, I was actually thinking of when that was. I kept seeing stories about it, but yeah, I didn't know when exactly it was. They went to par- like a marathon party? What is it? Yeah. Where- everyone in New York goes to like all day drinking events while everyone else is actually running the marathon. Oh, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. I, I thought these were people that. Okay. I see. Um, yeah, well, my Sunday routine is fairly similar. I don't have a female that I'm sharing uh, uh, my house with that is in the other room, but um, my <laughs> my Sunday was similar to Steve's. I watched football. Yeah. Like, that's what I do on Sundays. And you know what, Ashley? I, I've, I internally have been thinking this. I outwardly expressed it to a buddy of mine today when I was at the gym. Because I'm single and I don't have a significant other right now, I, I really do think I want to turn, and this is going to sound so first world problems, but I don't care. I really do think I want to turn my living room into a sports book where I have three TVs in my living room because I am sick and tired when I'm watching football of flipping back and forth between games. So I'm thinking of buying. Wait, <laughs> you don't have Red Zone? I do, but I don't want the. I want to watch the full game. I don't want to just see the highlights. I want three games on at one time in my room, in my living room. And do I, it. I think I'm. I think that's my. I'm almost positive that's going to be my Christmas present to myself. Is I'm, I'm going to buy two more flat screens and mount them on the wall above my main TV, and I just have to figure out how that's going to work with. Uh, the receiver because I don't want to turn on one TV and all three turn on because most of the time, basically this is just for sports watching. So most of the time it's not going to be in effect, but Sundays and then maybe when college basketball rolls around, same thing. But yeah, I think I'm going to do this because I'm sick and tired of hitting the back button in between like plays. Now I'm not going like five minutes in each game. It's like watch one play here back to the other game. Perfect example was this past Saturday in college football. There were literally four games on at the same time that I wanted to watch a part of and I was so pissed off. So, um I think that sounds amazing. <laughs> I just think if any female comes into my life and sees that, they're going to be like, "Whoa. Easy See, on, I think easy that on the TVs, out. brother." <laughs> well, what if uh, you know, when it comes to bachelor season, she could like watch the bachelor with like noise-canceling headphones on and you could watch the football game that's on. And y'all could both be in the same room, like holding hands, <laughs> watching well, TV at the same time. That would work. However, ABC got smart years ago, and that's why they don't start The Bachelor till January because there's no Monday Night Football when Bachelor is airing. Oh, yeah. So there is no games other than the first episode of the season will be going up against the College Football National Championship game. But other than that, mm-hmm. no, I'm pretty safe on Monday nights. Um, but no, it'll just. It, I literally was getting so frustrated this Saturday. I was like, how can they schedule four games that are this good all at the same time? And I'm sitting, I got LSU, Alabama. I've got Northwestern, Notre Dame. I've got, uh, what was the other one that I was, I forget forget the other one that I was blanking on now, but there were three or four games on at the same time that I just could not deal with. Oh, Texas Tech against um, Oklahoma. And I'm literally flipping between each game 
uh, each play. And it was so, I was like, that's it. Um, Christmas, I'm getting myself two flat screens. I just got to figure out how this is going to work with, because now I have to purchase two more receivers, which are going to cost me, I think, 10 or 11 bucks per month. And then how I'm going to change the channels without everything changing at one time. Like, how do I aim it and stuff like that? I have to look into that because I don't know. What a stressful situation. Like I said, said, first world problems. Like people are going to listen to this and be like, oh my God, what a snob. You know what? Yeah, I am. When it comes to my sports watching, I'm a total snob. I'll admit it. So yeah. So that's going to be my Christmas present to myself anyway. um, But thanks for bringing that up because now I, now now I'm going to, uh, yeah, Steve, Steve and I now have something in common with with Sunday football. So Now he's going to want three football. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. Might watch it. Don't tell him. Don't share my story with him because now he might be like, you know what? That's a good idea. Yeah, I mean, I've got the Red Zone channel. I've got the I've got the NFL Sunday ticket where I have access to every game, but that still means I have to keep flipping channels. Now I'm going to have access to not flip channels or at least watch three at one time as opposed to the Red Zone, which, yeah, I get it. I get it. But, okay. Something funny that just happened is Burley is actually, you know, listening right now. He's acting like he's not, but he is. Yeah. And he just goes, I have two TVs. <laughs> and he does in the attic because him and his dad like to play Fortnite together. So they have two TVs right beside each other and two Xboxes. Wait, but why do you, can't you play Fortnite with one TV? Like you can do that you with could, two players they, on one TV or right? You can't play two players on one Xbox. Oh, yeah. My nephew plays it all the time, and I and I'm so confused by that. I don't get it, and that's all he does. That's literally that's his life, and I don't really get it at all. Yeah, we were, we were Fortnite characters for Halloween, so. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, he was going to be, but he waited too long to get a costume. But yeah, no, I I, I watch him play it. He's on the phone. He's got the headset on. He's on the computer. He's talking to somebody. He's got his controller. He's pressing all these buttons. I have no idea. I'm just like. I was never a gamer other than the first Nintendo and Super Mario Brothers, the, the one that everyone played. Like, that was my game and back in the day and Mike Tyson's Punch-Out and stuff like that. But oh, I love that game. Those are the only two. Like, I was obsessed with those, and I played those every day when I got home from school. But those were, that was the last of my gaming days. That was, like, fifth or sixth grade. So I can't I, – I watch, I watch my nephew play this Fortnite stuff right now, and I'm like, I don't get it. I mean, I get the fact that he's obsessed with it because I know at that age I was obsessed with playing a video game, but I don't get the game. It just – I don't understand what the – what's the goal? I don't – what is the goal of like, – and Super Mario Brothers, the goal was to save the princess. What's the goal of Fortnite? Do you know? I think the goal is just to be the last person standing, right, B? He says, yeah. So are you just – are you playing against a bunch of other people that you're listening – like? The people that that's why he's on a headset. He's listening to other people that is in this area that he's playing. Yeah. Okay. Or who are you usually listening to, Burley? Like people you're on the team with. Is that who you're talking to? He. It's so funny because he plays with my friends. So Burley sometimes is playing with my like 36 year old <laughs> friends. <laughs> that that brings up another topic, and I've had Charlene and I had this. Uh, with one of our callers back when we did the show whose boyfriend was a gamer and she was literally getting infuriated by it. Like he was paying way more attention to the video games than her. And yeah. uh, if, if anyone wants to call in about their gamer boyfriend or gamer fiance or gamer husband, by all means, we'll, we'll listen. Uh, 
to that because that's that's certainly an issue nowadays because I understand I mean adults are into this stuff. I don't I, I me personally when I see that I don't I don't get it at all. But they probably are saying like, Well, why do you watch you know, how can you watch football for seven hours straight? And I'll be like, Yeah, sure. I guess I guess it's somewhat similar. How do you play a video game for seven hours straight? You know? We all have our vices. Yeah. So <laughs> Anyway, let's get to uh, let's get to our caller. First up um, is uh, is Lindsay in New Jersey. So let's get to her, and then we've got Lauren in Chicago. After that, all right, let's get to our caller. Her name is Lindsay. She is in New Jersey. Lindsay, how are you? I'm good, Steve. How are you? Good. Say hi to Ashley. Hey, Ashley. Hi. How are you? I'm good. Um. So, fill us in a little bit, Lindsay, on exactly what's uh, going on with you. Sure. So um, I got married six and a half years ago and um, we got pregnant basically right away, which I was really happy about because I always like wanted to be a mom, always wanted to have kids um, and a lot of them. So um, I was really happy with that. And um, then I actually had that kid. (laughs) It was a lot harder than I realized. Um, But fast forward a little bit. So I had my second 18 months later and my third 20 months later. So I got pregnant really fast after each one. Um, And very soon I had three kids, three and under. And so basically what ended up happening with my third when I got pregnant was about a month after I got pregnant. So I literally had just come from the doctor like this happened two days later. Um, I started bleeding really badly. I was freaking out. I was worried that. Like I had never had that before. And so I started freaking out that I was having a miscarriage. Um, And I was talking to my doctor. I was talking to my doula. um, And and my husband was just like, I don't know what to do, (laughs) which is understandable. Um, So basically we were away. And when I came back, um, I went in for, for an ultrasound and they, like I was still pregnant. So we just figured maybe it was, you know, just like implantation bleeding or, you know, whatever, just something normal. We figured I'm still pregnant. Everything looked fine. All's good. Um, so the pregnancy in general was a very difficult one for me, I guess, just from my body never really recovering from my previous pregnancies that it just was very hard. I was exhausted all the time. I was nauseous where I didn't have that with my other kids. And, um, I was just in constant pain, um, which was very difficult on many fronts. My kids really didn't have like a mom for those like nine months. I was very, very much MIA, like go to work, come home, get in bed, done. And so fast forward, um, I, towards the end of my pregnancy, I was beyond convinced that I was carrying twins, but they never found a second baby. They never found a second heartbeat, but I was like so convinced that my husband was freaked out. And, um, that it was like true. So anyway, so I give birth, thankfully, uneventfully, like gave birth, healthy, beautiful baby boy, um, which was amazing. And, um, about, and I felt great, which was surprising because usually with each pregnancy or with each birth, um, you have this cramping that happens after birth and, with each baby that's born, um, the cramping becomes more intense, more painful. So they were like really surprised. I didn't want drugs. I didn't want even Motrin. I was like, no, I'm good. Like, I feel great. Like, I don't even know what, like what's happening. I feel fabulous. And then about like 24 hours later, 
So I'm still in the hospital. Um, I'm like going to the bathroom and all of a sudden I like feel like I'm about to give birth again, which was pretty crazy because I already had given birth. Um, so the nurse came in, my midwife happened to be there for another birth and basically they pulled out another placenta, which I had already birthed a placenta. So it was a little weird. We were all very tired. So we didn't really like, everybody was just like, okay, let's go to bed. We'll like talk about this tomorrow. And I was like, okay, no problem. So next day comes and um, midwife comes back and we're talking. And basically what we concluded was that my instinct back when I was first, um, when I first got pregnant was correct in that I was pregnant with twins and I miscarried one. That was that very intense bleeding very early on. Um, and that I happened to just develop the second placenta, which it's called a vanishing twin. Um, apparently it's very common, <laughs> which I didn't know. So the thing that was so crazy is I find out that I wasn't crazy. I really had twins, but that I didn't because I miscarried. So there was never, so it was this like really weird, weird place to be. And then I also, um, the other part of it is that I already had two boys and I really wanted a girl, not that boys aren't fabulous, but I've always wanted to like name for my grandmother. And I just still wasn't having this girl. And so many people were like, Oh, like, we hope it's a girl. We hope you get your girl. You know, everybody's always saying like, girl, girl, girl. And then I gave birth to a boy and I was like, Oh, and like that never happened to me before. Like, whereas before it was always like, okay, yay, it's a boy, whatever. But I had such gender disappointment, which is very real. And so that combined with the whole news of you kind of had a second baby but didn't just kind of pushed me over the edge. And eventually that led to postpartum depression, which went undiagnosed for literally months. And there was times where, just to sum it up, I, I like literally called my husband crying and screaming and locking myself in a bathroom because I was actually terrified of killing my own children. It, was, it got like really bad. Um, so that was kind of like the whole story, um, of like what happened, what was going on. And I don't really talk about it just because number one, people don't really talk about postpartum depression openly. And the other thing, it's kind of this weird thing of at the end of the day, I did have a baby. I had a healthy baby and like, who am I to complain about the fact that I didn't have two or that I had a boy instead of a girl and so I just never really talked about it, which I think just added to to everything. So that's kind of like the background. <clears throat> hmm. how, how long ago was this third child again? So I gave birth in 2016. So he's now two. He's so that third baby's now two years old. Uh, are you? You're not still going through no, this? No, no, are no, you? no, okay. no, no. I, no, no. I've like I, the really amazing thing is about um, a year and a half. It kind of all came to like a halting point where I just had like a mental breakdown and my husband was like, basically didn't know what to do. He, he basically left and I was like, I'm going to go for a walk because I don't really know what to do right now. And I wasn't like in a dangerous place in terms of like, I was going to do something. I was just like babbling nonsense and just like, didn't know. I never felt hopeless. I just felt helpless. Like I knew that what was happening wasn't normal. I knew I needed help, but no matter who I talked to, I felt like 
nothing was helping and that I couldn't get anywhere. And then what ended up happening was my husband called a very close friend of mine um, and spoke to her and was like, you need to call her. You need to call her like ASAP because otherwise, like, I, I don't know what's going to happen to any of us. Like my husband was so concerned. He thought that we were going to get like divorced and that he was going to you like have to fight me for like a custody battle. And he had like all these saved text messages in case like I got dirty and it was, it was very intense. Um, and then for whatever reason, whatever my friend said, like she happened to go through postpartum herself, which I never knew. And just her relating that story and knowing like where she was, I just felt like, Oh, it's, it's okay to have, you know, these feel not like, okay, but it's, it's normal to have these feelings okay, now what can I do about it? And it literally just like switched something in me. And not that all of a sudden everything was perfect and okay, but that was like the switch that helped me like pull out of the depression. And I got help. I started talking to a therapist like weekly. And so I got the help that I needed to, but I just wanted to come on the podcast and basically share my story because I'm sure that there are plenty of women who can relate or um, know somebody that has gone through it or maybe is going through it. And this is like, oh, hey, these are some signs that my friend is showing that maybe that can that can help somebody. For sure. Ashley, do you know anybody that's gone through it or been uh, through it? I, I know so many people. And I think that it is a very important story to share. Um, and I, I think all those feelings that you felt are normal. You went through something very traumatic and to have kind of like your mother's intuition and knowing that you did have that baby and then to lose it and to have all this disappointment. I mean, I think that what happened to you afterwards, that seems like a very normal progression of events. Without you getting the help that you needed, without those doctors realizing it. Like, I hope that you've switched, like, your whole (laughs) medical team. No, seriously. Like, that is so disturbing to me. So uh, the medical part of it, I don't don't quite get it. So are, are we saying this second child that you miscarried, did it miscarry early on or it, yeah okay I so was that's about because they would have been able to recognize I, a yeah, second baby 100%. eight months in or yeah okay. yeah yeah okay. so this was about I was about probably six weeks which is typically a normal time to have a miscarriage mm-hmm. is around that like six to eight week it's typically normal and so if I had like gone in and they saw that like I wasn't pregnant anymore I would have just figured like okay I had a miscarriage which would have been sad in its own way Um, and the fact that like, I had, like, I literally felt like I was having a miscarriage and then to be told, no, you're still pregnant. I was like, I don't even know how that's still possible. Like, I thank God that I still was, but, um, but yeah, it was like, it was crazy. Is this something that you've just out of curiosity, is this something you've brought up to your other two boys? Um, you know, I never have. And that was part of. That was part of my depression is that I would just have these crazy conversations with myself. These like, I wonder if this baby that I did have, my third child, my third son, if he will ever feel like he's missing a part of himself. And then how do we deal with that? And like, what do we say? Like, oh, you you had 
you had potentially a sibling kind of sort of, but not really. Cause we never really got anywhere. Yeah. You know, it's just kind of like this weird conversation of like, I would want to validate those feelings. Like, yes, this, this is really real what you're feeling, but at the same time, like there's no real anything to talk about, you know? And that's, that's part of that's so tricky. And then same thing with my other boys, like, you know, is it something to tell them, to not tell them? Does it make sense to tell them? Do I tell them when they're like adults and they're married and like they're having kids? Like, hey, just so you know, this can happen. This is very real. And, you know, I just want you to know, like, you yeah. know, there's just so many things that's just, I don't know. I don't know what the appropriate age that they should be for you to tell them if you should tell them. I don't really know the answer yeah. to that. Um, I would definitely ask your therapist. Yeah. Um, at the same time, though, I, I feel like honesty is always the best, best policy. policy. Yeah. Um, again, I'm not sure what age that's the best at, but I feel like when they're adults telling them, um, especially if the one that. Oh, you cut out for a second. Yeah, it looks like Ashley uh, froze there for a second. Ashley, you there? Ashley. She froze. Um, oh, there, sorry. Oh, sorry, you froze there for a second. <laughs> you froze there for a second. Go ahead, pick up. Her. Um, where did I freeze at? You were um saying about how maybe like when they're adults, especially the one I'm assuming you're you were gonna say the one who was yeah. A twin. Yeah, I think that if the the twin became an adult and then learned about it, I think if he did have those feelings when he was younger. Um, I think there could be some resentment learning it older. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, definitely we don't know. <laughs> definitely <laughs> talk to the yeah. about, yeah. about this issue. Um, one question I kind of had for you is, is there some sort of advice you can give to expectant mothers out there of procedures they should ask for? I know that... I've seen a couple of times where women aren't receiving, um, I don't know if it's an ultrasound or what, where they're not finding like leftover placenta or something like that. And it causes problems a little on down the road. Mm -hmm. is, is that something that women should be asking for after they have the baby? Because I know you don't always receive that. Yeah. So, you know, the truth is for that, I'm not really... I'm not really sure. The interesting thing is typically when you have a miscarriage that even one like this, that normally that placenta never develops. And the really interesting thing that happened with me, which I don't know if this has happened with other women who've experienced this also, is that I always had very low um, water in like the placenta, like in the womb. And my doctors were always very concerned. I always carried small, I always, whatever. And the interesting thing is here, I actually went to the hospital a few times for, because I thought the baby had stopped moving. And they were like, wow, you have amazing water. I'm like, wow, really? Like usually they're freaking the heck out because I don't have enough. Hmm. So that was just one of those things where I was just like, are you sure? Like, I, I remember I'm like, are you sure there's not a second baby? Like really like he like just, and they always had a hard time finding the heartbeat. Like as if there was a second baby and like the other one was like smushed to the side and they couldn't find, it was all, like these random weird little things that just like 
over time, I was like, no, there's got to, because if you don't know to look for a second baby or a second heartbeat, once you find one, you're not looking for another one, you know? Right. So, um, so yeah, it's just like these weird things. And the thing that I would really advise people on is number one, if you have an instinct, trust it. You know, if there, if you feel like, I got to be pregnant with a twin and, and they do an ultrasound and they don't find a second heartbeat, whatever, you know, ask your doctor, is there another way to find out, like to see if I have a second placenta or something, you know, some kind of levels to check or, you know, the truth is that I don't know. And I never really asked my doctor just because I didn't want to have that in my head of like, Oh, I could have, I should have, I, whatever, um, that I just kind of like, let it be. And then once I got to this place of, I was now dealing with my depression, I didn't want to like put myself back down the rabbit hole. Um, but definitely in the future, if that ever, if that ever, um, if I ever had that instinct or I ever felt like that, I would 100% say to my doctor, like, you know, what can we do? What can we look for? And also when you give birth, if you are not having those typical signs of, Um, you're contracting afterwards and something just seems like a little too good to be true in terms of your recovery, kind of check that out. Like if you're having a thought or an instinct, it's for a reason and just follow it. You're not crazy. You're not weird. It's better safe than sorry. Cause the worst thing that happened was in addition to all of this. So I'm in the hospital. I was feeling great. Didn't have any drugs because my body was still considered pregnant. And when I birthed the second placenta, what happened was all of a sudden my milk came in after that. So it wasn't that I didn't have milk supply. It wasn't that I couldn't nurse my baby. It's that my body wasn't producing milk yet because my body still thought I was pregnant. And not only that was I didn't have any like narcotics to your loud Percocet and morphine and, and Motrin like when you're in the hospital. I didn't have any of that. So I come home with this brand new baby, all of a sudden, like my milk supply is coming in and I am having these intense cramps as if I'm giving birth, but like 10 times more. And I don't have any medication to take for it because I'm now not in the hospital. So I feel like, especially if that happened, instead of being like, Oh yeah, let me get out of the hospital. Like better, better to do that. Um, I, I would say that if something happens like that, when you're, sorry, let me just, um, when you're in the hospital, stay an extra day, make sure you feel okay. Because the last thing you want is to go home with a baby. And now you are dealing with everything on your own. Yeah. And a question, it's, Lindsay, I'm just curious. Are you guys done having kids? So <laughs> yes and no. Um, we're not, we are very much making sure that that's not happening right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it has, and for, so there's, there's kind of like multiple things going into it for my husband. He was extremely traumatized by the whole thing as well, because not only was it a difficult pregnancy this third time around. So he was basically playing mom and dad for those nine months. Yeah. But then once I had the baby, and I had this spiraling happening and he never really even knew how bad it was until like he, like he kind of talked to some people about it. They were like, yeah, so she's probably experiencing that. Like nobody really knew how intense it got. And he was basically just taking it all himself because 
his own family upbringing was very much like you do what you got to do. Doesn't matter. You just suck it up and do it. So he was, again, during this whole time of my depression, was taking on the role of mom and dad, dealing with the stress of me acting like a freaking nutcase. And um, so he, he like literally was like having anxiety attacks. He was having panic attacks. He was, you know, so he was traumatized from the whole thing. He was like, I don't want you getting pregnant because I don't know if you're going to become a psycho again. Like, I love you, but I'm not really like looking to revisit that again. So it's like, we, we want more kids, but at the same time, like, it's just so traumatic that we're just scared what's going to happen. Cause you just, you just don't know. Yeah. It's understandable. I, I, I asked just because I asked just yeah. because you mentioned you're yearning for a, a girl and I, yeah. I didn't know if that meant, okay, well we've had three, we had this accident. It's just like, let's, let's leave good alone. Or if it's just, no, I still really want that girl. I just didn't know if you yeah. had, had a change of heart or anything. Um, I think, yeah, no, for me, my husband keeps going back and forth on it, but we're not looking to do anything anytime soon. I very much still, you know, want that little girl. And even it, like, you can't guarantee anything. And even if science could predict, I still want it because I feel like that's just messing with things. I would still want to have another one just because I really do love babies and love kids. And I've always, like, I always thought that I was going to have like six or eight kids. Not looking to do that now. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, we, we put that like, <laughs> that was so not what we're looking to do now. But, um, but so- I always thought that I'd have at least four. So I still kind of want that one. And the biggest thing that I would also say to people is that um, if you are, tr- if you are, you know, already have two of a gender or, and you're like really set on that other gender, don't find out because the worst thing, especially if you're not going to tell anybody that you found out, which is what I did. I found out that I was having a boy and I, I didn't share that information because I didn't want even more. I just like wanted to keep that to myself. Even my husband didn't know. He didn't want to know. And I think that that also was like, again, every time someone was like, oh, I hope you had a girl. It was like another stab, another stab, another stab. Because I knew the whole time. And then especially once I had the baby, I was like, oh, you really are a boy. And like, it was just whatever. So, um, so I just wouldn't do that again. And like, whatever we did have, whether it was a baby, like whether it was a girl or not, that it would just, you know, we would just be happy to have another baby. Well, that's, but I would still want to try. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, you know, good luck to you guys in the future. That's a hell of a story. I appreciate you <laughs> sharing that with us. And I know, you know, I don't know in particular who's listening, who went through it, but I guarantee one, if not quite a few, have been through something similar or are currently going through it. So I, I appreciate you coming on and, and sharing that uh, with us. And uh, There's one thing yeah. I want to add. Yeah. Um, I'm so glad that, with the last birth that you didn't have serious complications because this is something I've been reading about lately. Um, the U.S. has the worst rate of maternal deaths in the developed world right now. Yep. And I think it, it does fit into your story where just there were some mistakes made medically. Um, and I've, I've read so many instances of mothers knowing that something was wrong and doctors not taking them seriously and not taking the appropriate steps, or sometimes it it did lead to the death of the mother. And I just want to emphasize out there that if, if you 
are expecting and you don't feel like you're getting the care that you need and or deserve and someone is not listening to you, change doctors. Like, yes, this is is something that we really need to pay attention to because there's no reason why our mortality death rate is that of a third world country at this point. Um, And to kind of follow up on that, truthfully, my, my medical team didn't do like, even going back, I don't think they did anything wrong. And I think that it was just kind of like a, a learning experience in, in general. Mm. Um, and okay. I, I was the guinea pig, which, you know, life happens. But, um, my biggest thing is as women, as mothers, and I'm sure that, and it doesn't matter if you're type A, if you're not, if you're at the end of the day, when you become a mom, you just think like, you have to do it all. You need to do it all. If you don't do it all, that you're a failure and you're not, if something isn't right, say so. Because the thing is, is that I kept thinking like, okay, it's normal. I just have to let it pass. Like it doesn't matter. And the truth is, is that I think also the whole post-maternal care needs to be revamped because my doctors did the right thing. They asked me the follow-up questions and I even signed the form that was like, yes, please call me and make sure that like, I am like on my feet and like in a good place in three months and six months. And that's great. But the problem is, is that if I get that call and I wasn't able to answer it, I, and I'm not in a good place, I have to push myself in order to make that return call. And not just that, but I have to then also like it's that seeking the help. And if I haven't sought help already, the fact that you call me and I missed your call isn't helpful. I think that having physical in-person follow-up appointments for the first six months and even a full year is so important. And really seeing a person's physical body, like what are they saying? What are they not saying? What's really going on? Ask them like the deep questions and dig deeper because it's very easy to be like, yeah, today was a great day. Like, yeah, so, you know, not every day is perfect. Da, da, da. And it's like, no, my life sucks. I'm drowning. I feel like I'm dying. I don't know what to do about it, but I don't really have anything to do about it. Like I'm a mom of three kids. My husband works. I work. We just have to suck it up and deal with it. And it's like, no, that's not, that's not the answer. You know, I agree. So, I think this was such an important conversation. I'm so glad that you shared your story um, with everyone today because I really do feel like this is something that's going to help a lot of people that listen to this podcast. Yeah, I mean, we're nine episodes in and we've never had a call like this in terms of, I can't remember anything, Ashley, regarding anything with PPD or childbirth or anything like that. So it's good to get a different uh, type of caller on the show. So, Lindsay, thank you very much uh, for coming on. We really appreciate that. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Ashley. I love you guys. You're awesome. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Bye. Well, that was interesting. Uh, Like I said, Ashley, that was something we never really had. It's good to good to hear. And it's stuff that obviously I'm not very familiar with at all. Um, I did not know about baby death rates in the U.S. being that of a third world country. I have no clue. But I'm glad you pointed that out because sure there are people listening who are pregnant right now and maybe do and you know it's not like we want to scare you but i guess the the um consensus or the conclusion of that call is if you feel something's off you feel something different but your doctor's telling you otherwise maybe it's okay to change doctors right for sure i agree wow that was a great call so important 
I, I, I feel like I have been reading these articles so often recently and of women that uh, were going through stuff and their doctors ignored them. Stuff yeah. Like that. Really? Wow. Or just that people aren't even doing the procedures that they need to be doing. I, I feel like Ali Fedotowski just shared a video where this had happened in her previous um, giving birth where there was some like leftover placenta or something like that. And the doctors didn't get it. And she had a lot of pain afterwards. And then they found out they were like, Oh yeah, there's some left in there. And then even in her second, I don't know if they did it again, but the same thing happened. And it's like, Mm. I don't know. I I feel like at this point, mothers shouldn't be asking for these procedures. I mean, I, I hope after this call that they are, but it's just, Something is broken in our medical system right now, and we just need to be doing more for mothers after they give birth. Mm. Yeah, I didn't. I had no idea that was uh, an issue. I didn't. You know, I I had heard about something similar to her situation where someone was carrying twins and one died and one made it. I think I think well, Vienna kind of went through that. Although mm-hmm. although her second ended up dying. As right. well, unfortunately, um, she had one that died and the other one was still going on. And I think it lasted another three or four days or something like that. But I had never heard of that situation that Lindsay told us. Like, that just seems so crazy. But I guess yeah. it, it obviously has happened. As, I, I, I'm guessing Lindsay's not the only person in the in all of America that that's happened to. So, yeah, yeah I mean, that's got to be. And she should definitely talk to her therapist about when do you tell the kids that if you do, because I, you know, I really don't know about that. Do you even bring it up? Because, you know, I don't know. Yeah. So anyway, uh, that'll do it uh, for Lindsay. Uh, let's get to caller number two. She is in Chicago. Her name is Lauren. She's caller number two. Lauren, how are you? I'm good. How are y'all? Good. Doing good. Uh, I know, Lauren, you've had a, a lot of, a lot of, uh, a pretty big life shakeup within the last year or so. Why don't you share with everybody what you've been through? I did. Yeah. So my dad passed away last year, super unexpectedly. Um, he was my best friend. We were extremely close. He was really cool, single guy, super down to earth, just, you know, the best dad that you could ask for. Um, as for my mom, she, is now a recovering alcoholic, but you know, when my parents divorced, when I was a teen, I kind of ended up sticking with my dad. Um, so fast forward to July, last July, uh, I got a call from my sister that she wasn't able to get in touch with my dad. And, you know, long story short, I rushed down to his house to find that he had passed away a few days prior So he was just in the house there and emotionally, obviously really messed me up. Um, I had a boyfriend at the time. We had been together for about a year. He was never super family oriented. He had kind of like an unstable family base. So it was really hard for me to kind of lean on him for like anything emotionally. Um, It came to the point where he didn't even want to go to my dad's funeral because he said he didn't feel like he even knew him that well. How many times had he met your dad roughly? 
I'm sorry, what? How many times had he met your dad, roughly? Once. Oh. But, you know, okay. we were so close. I talked about my dad on, a, like, a regular basis, like, every day. Hmm. Yeah, that's so just So he knew, like, yeah. how important he was to me. Yeah. Very clearly. Um, so I'm definitely, you know, I, I tend to bottle my emotions up pretty easily. So it wasn't hard for me to kind of suppress everything and just bury it down and power on. Um, but the next few months after his funeral just kind of became a blur. I felt really alone. My anxiety kicked in. Um, I kind of felt like everyone's life was moving on after my dad's funeral, you know, but mine. And I was just kind of stuck in the grief stage. Um, so currently, you know, I'm in my later twenties. I'm at a point where all my friends are, you know, getting married, having kids and, I find it hard for me to be happy for them or even kind of fathom myself in any of those situations when, you know, the most important person to me is not there to celebrate and share those moments. You know, like I want my dad to be able to walk me down the aisle and hold my kids and have a beer with my future husband. But I guess I just feel so angry that he was taken from me so early and like without warning that I just have no interest at all in participating in any sort of happy events. You know, I didn't even celebrate my birthday in March. So it's just been hard for me to kind of get out of the funk that I'm in um, and just be able to move on and wonder if I'll ever be able to kind of let my guard down again. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a, it's an awful story. I hate that you obviously had to go through that. You know, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I know what you've been through because I haven't. Um, but, you know, uh, anybody that knows Ashley and knows Ashley's story um, knows that, you know, Ashley, you know, you lost your dad. I think you were teenager, 17, 18 when you lost him? No, I was 23. Oh, you were 23. Okay. So mm-hmm. rough, almost close to the same age that Lauren Pretty is. close. Um, yeah. So I'm going to kind of pass this off to Ashley uh, because yeah. I don't know how much I could really offer on this. Obviously, I want to hear what Ashley has to say, and I can uh, throw some stuff in. I have a few thoughts, but um, Ashley, you know, go ahead. I well, I just, I mean, I have to, like, share that, like, I'm already crying. <laughs> um, same. Relate to your story so hard. Um, Like I said, I just, I feel like the only people who can understand something like this are people who have gone through something like this. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, my, my dad's death was unexpected as well. Um, And I, I think it must just be like the, not being able to say goodbye or something yeah. like that that's just so hard and that makes it so hard to deal with. Um, I Did you say, are you and your boyfriend still together? Oh, God, no. Okay. Absolutely not. After all of that, I mean, <laughs> he was a complete jerk through all of it. You know, I, I kind of banished him from my house for like a week after he said he didn't want to go to my dad's funeral. And I honestly kind of like blocked that moment out for months until we broke out up. 
Yeah. And then that kind of came back into my head. Like that was my headspace is that I was so just mentally jumbled that I completely just blacked that out because it was just a non-issue. Yeah. Almost. So it sounds like uh, within a couple, like what, within a month or two of your dad's passing that you were done with this guy? Yeah, I would say probably two months. I don't know if he just got tired of me being emotional or just wanted to be, you know, a mid twenties, have fun all the time kind of guy. And I was maybe bringing him down with my life situation, which was a huge bummer. Yeah. But yeah, you, you really find out who people are when you experience a traumatic death like this. Um, my boyfriend at the time, I literally caught him in bed with another girl like two weeks after my dad passed away. But I, I mean, now I look back and I'm like, I mean, I'm glad I found out sooner rather than later how awful he was. I mean, that doesn't help at all with the, um, kind of how I feel about my dad, but, um, I'd rather be done with him. (laughs) Rather Um, know now than later on down the line, Exactly. something else awful happen. And then you be left alone again. That was kind of my main thought. So he had to go. (laughs) Yeah. Because I think everyone processes grief in a different way, but if he couldn't even muster the compassion and empathy for you in that situation, then he might be a sociopath. <laughs> <laughs> I just, um, I just wonder like, you know, cause I feel like n- now since I had to go through all of that kind of by myself, like, am I just going to be okay trucking through life alone? And that's not what I want. You know, like I definitely thrive in relationships and being alone and I want to share, you know, my life with somebody, but I just feel like that jaded me to the point where I don't want to open up to anybody about anything. I I think that it's definitely going to take time. Um, Being a year out, I still feel like that's very soon. Um, I mean, I even feel like my grief was so deep for probably three years. And I'm not even saying that yours is going to be that long. Um, but I just think everyone handles it in different ways. Do you and your sister talk a lot about it? So me and my sister are super close. Okay. Um, but she also has a boyfriend of six years who they're super close to getting engaged and he is just the best guy. So she had that support system and she lives a couple hours away from me. So when she needed someone in the moment to cry to and be sad to, he was there. Yeah. And when I needed her to cry to, she was there, of course, but she definitely had someone there all the time to go to. And it, it was hard for me seeing her have somebody 24-7 when, you know, my now ex would be playing Xbox mm-hmm. while I was crying on the couch. <laughs> yeah. Does your sister kind of realize that you need this or do you think Um, she's still kind of processing too? I mean, she's definitely closer with my mom. So I think it's kind of harder for her to see my side of how I feel about things. And I think that she thinks that I, I should be over it. And if I'm not, then I just need to go talk to a therapist, which I am okay with. Yeah. But I just don't know if it's what I want. 
right, right now. <laughs> I, I would definitely recommend talking to a therapist, but I think also that it really helps to have someone, whether it's a friend, whether it's a significant other, whether it's a family member that you can also talk to as well, because you want to have someone that you can talk to about all the stories and they'll know stories too, because I think that helps so much. Um, it's, it's a really hard thing to go through alone. Um, and I think talking about it is the best way to get through. I'm not going to lie and say that time makes it easier because in, in my opinion, it really doesn't. Yeah. Um, even, I mean, how long has it been since my dad passed away? Um, it's almost, yeah, no. well, no, it's been, no. <laughs> uh, it's been a little over 10 years mm-hmm. and, um, now things make me sad in a different way. Like say, I don't think about him like on his birthday or something, then that like makes me feel like shit. Yeah. So, like, it's just an, an all encompassing type of grief and sadness and depression. Um, but I think it, it does get easier where you're not going to be as angry. Um, I have definitely had those times too at weddings. Like I can't sit through the daddy daughter dance. I, I just get up and leave because Mm -hmm. it always makes me cry. And I just honestly don't want to be that wet blanket at the wedding. Um, but it was also something that Steve and I decided I really did not want to do at our wedding. So he didn't do a mother son dance and I didn't do a daddy daughter dance. So we kind of just, Skated right over the whole thing. <laughs> like, that is a, that is a really nice thought, actually. And you're gonna find someone that you're going to be able to share that with. I think that unless someone has been through it, it is hard to kind of find someone that can identify with it. But you are going to be able to find someone that's going to be compassionate towards you and wants to understand that sadness and wants to make you feel better about it. Um, and you, you shouldn't look for anyone who is not going to do that for you. I think if you ever see someone like your ex-boyfriend that exhibits those type of characteristics, run away from them because if, if they can't handle the death of a family member, God forbid you go through anything else that's going to challenge them in any way. Exactly. Well, I, you know, I like I said, I can't offer too much here because I haven't been through it. And what I was going to offer actually pretty much poo pooed. So <laughs> I was going <laughs> well, to say that, it, you know, it, it seems like even a year later, like, yeah, you're like, God, is this ever going to get any better? And my thought was that, you know, time heals all wounds like it will get better and the only thing i could relate it to and obviously this is a completely different situation but was when when my dog died two and a half years ago almost three years coming up on january of 16 like literally for three days i did not think it was ever going to get any better every single thing in the house reminded me of her every i felt like i felt like moving i was like (laughs) i can't be here anymore um yeah no, but that and is then, like your family member, Steve. I know. And <laughs> then course. but then it just it then it just I and in that moment, in that day that she died, the day after, the day after that, I tried to say to myself, a year from now, is it gonna bother me as much? 
And I would be like, no, there's no way. There's no way that I'm ever going to be uh, get better from this. There's Just because I, I guess it was just so close to it happening. And then just as we got away from it, you know, six months later, 12 months later, those things that triggered me in that first week in her death didn't trigger me as much anymore. But I'm like I said, I'm not saying that that's going to happen for you because you're going to have birthdays and holidays. Obviously, you've been through one Christmas. Uh, you know, last Christmas was your first one yeah. without him. And then, you know, this year is going to be another one. Um, so those I don't think will ever go away. I can't imagine those are just you're going to feel, you know, wonderful or whatever. But I, I just for me, it just got to a I, I just know when it happened, I never thought I'd be able to get through it. And it was a dog. And, um, you know, I, I just, I eventually did. It just got to a point where I was like, oh God. And then, I, and then a year later I would think back to the time where I was like, there's no way I could feel any worse than I do now, or I'm never going to get better. And then, you know, you do, it just, as time goes away, it just, you know, heals things. But like I said, it's different, obviously with a parent versus a dog and, and whatnot. But, you know, that was my thing is that, um. I would think at some point it'll be, it's never going to, it's never going to be easy. It'll just be easier than it was as you move farther away from it, because there's just going to be obviously too many things with visiting your home and holidays and birthdays and stuff like that. What about your your friends? Are they supportive? So honestly, you know, my close like little group of friends, they were supportive in the sense of like, you know, they all came to the funeral and whenever I cried, they were there. But I feel like I really, really fortunately got super close with a lot of people that I work with because mm-hmm. I kind of found out that something was wrong while I was at work. I got the call from my sister. And so I kind of was rallied around like by my boss and a bunch of my coworkers. And now one of my coworkers who was there for me the most, she is hands down my best friend a year later, like first person I go to for everything. So I I did get a lot of support in unexpected places, which was really nice. But, you know, what was hard at the time was where, you know, the support that you want to get, the person's not giving it to you. Yeah, no, I can understand that. Um, I will say, though, that I'm closing a pretty big chapter tomorrow in closing on my dad's house. We finally sold it. We completely emptied it out last week. So I'm hoping that will be a nice chapter that will that will close and that will start my healing process a little bit further. Yeah. Yeah. No, I... So I, maybe this is too personal of a question, but were you executor of your dad's estate? So he was very, very, very well off. And he was in the insurance industry for his entire life, you know, for 40 years. And me, my sister and I were very surprised to find that he did not have a will at all because he was that sort of guy that would have had one written up if there was anything wrong with him in the slightest. So the fact that we found nothing like just proved even further that this was completely unexpected. So I kind of had to go through the whole process of being appointed and taking charge of all that stuff, which I am used to, but it's been just a complete added burden on me 
you know, I'm a paralegal. I work long hours and deal with people all the time and having to take on a whole nother, you know, almost job, like created so much stress. And it was sad at times too, you know, having to go up to the courthouse and get your paper signed that your dad died and having to talk to people and they, you know, say, well, who's the person that died? And it's people just aren't very friendly <laughs> no, or politically I... correct about it on the phone. So it's like fielding those calls all the time just became so tiresome. I have to tell you, I went through the same thing uh-huh. and I really feel like you cannot properly grieve until it is done. Yeah. Because it's so much added stress. Yeah. And this is something I really try to stress to people is I don't care how old you are. I don't, as soon as you have kids, make a will. And I already made one now after yeah. this. I mean. Seriously, mm-hmm. because to do that to your children, and I mean, obviously you're not wanting to do that to your children, but just like I said, I did it hearing you talk about everything that you had to go through. Yeah. It's so unfair for kids to have to take that on. And I, I it really made me angry at some points that even like people yeah. in my family weren't helping that mm-hmm. they just expected like a 23 year old who was living in New York to take care of all this stuff that was going on in North Carolina. Yep. So Is he he in the same state where you guys look at? Yeah, no, he lived about 40 minutes away from me. So I visited him pretty regularly, but I mean, we were in the same County, which made things easier, but yeah. All right. These are just, I mean, I am not in any way saying you're lucky, but I think the fact that you had a great relationship with your dad, I think is wonderful. Um, It's not like, you know, there was anything bad going on on between you two where things were left unsaid or Mm -hmm. something like that. And now that you are done with this process and selling his house, I think that it really is going to be the next chapter of this. And, um, I know that you can, um, I don't know if you would want to do this, but talk to us, sorry, talk to some support groups, um, for people who have lost parents or someone close to them, I think sometimes that can really help. Um, But I do think closing this chapter is really going to help you move on. I honestly think that I would be more inclined to want to talk to a support group. That's definitely not something that I've thought of. I always, my first thought is like therapist in a room, sitting down, crying in front of one person who may or may not have been there before. And it always just kind of turns, you know, I think everybody off the therapist yeah. thought, but I've never even thought of a support group. And I think that would be honestly really great. Actually, are you suggesting both a support group and a therapist or is she, she should do one over the other? Or, or I, the other? I think, I think right now, um, just from what you've told me, I don't know if you are ready to go to a therapist. I think it is something that will really help. I would suggest right now, starting with the support group. Yeah. Um, But I think long term that a therapist really can help because like I said, your grief is going to change into so many different things and having the tools from a therapist are really going to help you throughout your life. Yeah. 
So, Lauren, are you in a position now where I'm sure, it just based on what you said, it sounds like you know, dating or something like that isn't really on your radar. You probably haven't even thought about it, like dating apps or even maybe, now. Maybe you're just not even interested in, in, in guys right now. Um, I think that was the part maybe that I was referring to when I said I think it'll it'll get better. I mean, I, I don't think you're going to yeah. go the rest of your life where you're just going to not be interested in dating. It's just it's probably just going to take some time because you know that, you know, whoever you do meet and end up with, you know, is going to have, going to hear this story. And there's probably going to be a fear in you of, well, what if they act like my ex-boyfriend did who wanted no yeah. part of it? That's exactly it. And that'll suck because that was pretty bad what he did. I mean, that was. I'm, I'm glad that I honestly did block it out until we broke up because it really did anger me that's just very childish but (laughs) as it it should have i mean even if he only met him once it doesn't matter like i how in the world this guy didn't uh, yeah he he didn't go to the funeral or he put up a fight about it ended up going oh he definitely came with me he was there but i know especially like i think a few days after he wanted to go to the beach with his friends and he asked me if he could go to the beach with his friends and i was like i mean okay yeah yeah, if I was like, I, I told him no. I was like, I, I would really like your support. And that was kind of, you know, a fight later on. Well, fine. Rolled his eyes. Stayed with me. Hated it. Whatever. Yeah. It was awful. Yeah, yeah that, that didn't help. Um, you know, I think obviously it's a it's a tough thing to be in. Um, you know, I apologize. I mean, you know, we're sorry that that obviously happened and you've been through that. And But I do think, yeah, talking to somebody, joining a support group slash, you know, therapy down the road. I, I, I don't see how that would be a negative thing at all. Um, just sounds like you need people to talk to because the people that were there for you or in your life aren't really giving you the support that you probably need. You said, you know, your ex-boyfriend obviously was a zero. And, <laughs> and your sister, you said, had her. She has her go-to and she guy. just kind of is not there all the time she's kind of absent so have you tried to um what's the word i'm looking for here but create any type of days of remembrance for your dad like so i do like his death day and i know that sounds Mm -hmm. very morbid and not at all funny but on that day I try to do everything that I know made him really happy and it kind of takes my mind off of it. I love that idea. <laughs> um, I, it was like over the 4th of July weekend and we honestly couldn't pinpoint like what actual day it was, which was another kind of rough go around at it. But um, I know me and my sister hung out like, this July got together and had lunch at his favorite place and just kind of reminisced his birthday is new year's Eve. So I know that'll always be like a day that we'll have together to think of him and we'll always celebrate him on Christmas too. But yeah, no, I think those are important because when you take those days to really kind of celebrate their life I think it helps you feel like they're still around you know yeah kind of making it like a happy event rather than like a morning 
Yes. And I, I mean, I think that's so important, but I think it's also important that, you know, on the days that you're sad, don't try to not be sad. Just experience all that. Eventually there won't be so many. Um, there will still always be things that, you know, you're going to miss about him and that are going to make you sad. Um, but like I said, if you, if you create those days where you really try to remember him, I think that that provided me so much relief. Um, hopefully it will with you too. Yeah. (sighs) Thank you guys so much. No, I, I, we appreciate you coming on. Obviously it's not an easy story to share and just relive. Um, you know, well, definitely hearing, you know, Ashley kind of pour herself out last week. Um, definitely drove me to call in and share my story too. And just kind of wanted to talk to her after I heard that. So thanks for chatting with me, both of y'all, especially you, Ashley. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I cried the whole time. (laughs) I I already knew I was going to, too. I was preparing myself for it. So I mean, I started like a minute after you started talking. So I was, I mean, I even told Steve before I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to handle But no, thank you. And honestly, I am here anytime if you ever want to talk about it. Um, I always tell anyone that comes to me with this type of story, I wish I couldn't relate, but I feel like we don't have to go through this alone. And I would love to talk to you anytime, you know, you're feeling sad about it. Thank you. No, no problem. Lauren, thank you very much uh, for calling in. Really appreciate it. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll be in touch. Thank you, guys. I'll have a good one. You too. Me too. Bye. Bye. All right, Ashley. Uh, thank you to Lauren for that. Uh, that was pretty heavy. Uh, there were a couple things in there that I wanted to ask you because I didn't feel like it really added to the call, but I wanted to ask you once we, we were off the call. Mm-hmm. Well, first first note that I made was um, <laughs> when you were talking about before you started, right before you started talking about the daddy the father-daughter dance at your wedding or whatever, and you said, Steve and I. I thought you were going to tell a story about me and you. I'm like, where's this going? Oh, Steve and you. And then you said something about the the dance at your wedding. I'm like, oh, okay, Steve and you. Yeah, you're Steve. Um, uh, the second thing is she mentioned the thing about the will, and I've never really thought about this. Um, but so if, if, if that – so what happens? If, if there's no will and a parent dies, what happens? Who do they, well, so if you're still married, it would go to the husband or the wife. Yeah. And they weren't, and, it sounds like. Right. Yeah. My, well, hers weren't together anymore. Right. I, I inferred from saying her mom was an alcoholic. It seemed like there was some yeah. bad blood there. Um, and then my parents weren't married. And then I was the oldest child. And my sister was actually. Um, under 16. So, I mean, she couldn't have been it anyway. So what that, that means they come to you and you have to divvy up all of his belongings? Basically. Sheesh. You're right. And there was a lot to deal with um, in my dad's situation. Like, he still owed a lot on the mortgage of his house. Um, and like I said, I was a broke 23-year-old. And, like, a bunch of stuff happened. Like, my grandma wanted the house. Um, but she didn't want to move into it. And then I was like, well, someone has to live in it. I really just wanted to be sell to sell it and be done with it. Um, and then there was a battle for like 
five to six years, maybe even longer than that. Mm. And then finally, they just decided that they didn't want to live in the house anymore. And by this point, the house was so run down that when I sold it, I probably got like 50% less than what I could have gotten for it if I would have just sold it when my dad passed away. And I could have taken care of all of the bills. Well, this may seem so, like a stupid question, but like if someone dies and they have a mortgage on a house, obviously the mortgage company can't expect payment. Does someone have to take over those payments or wouldn't it just be immediately sold? Um, yeah, so someone had to take over the payments immediately. I paid, I want to say like the first three months and I was like, listen, I'm in New York. Yeah. I'm paying more than this for an apartment. Um, I can't also pay the mortgage. Um, but if I wouldn't have been able to pay, then the bank would have repossessed the house. Okay. That's what I yeah. assumed happened or just yeah. someone immediately puts it up for sale. But yeah, I mean, that's, God, that's got to be something that's just, yeah, you just don't want, you, you don't wish upon your worst enemy to go through something like no. that. Yeah. I literally thought about it every day. Yeah, I can imagine, especially if you <laughs> Until were Until it was over. Yeah, and you were put in charge of it as a 23-year-old. I mean, that's crazy. Wow. Yeah, and right after I caught my boyfriend in bed with another girl. Oh, even, <laughs> even better. Like, literally caught him in bed? Literally. What? He just didn't think you were going to be home that day? What? Uh, it's, it's a weird story, but we were at... Um, the Central Park Boathouse, and I left to, no, he left first. And when he left, a girl came up to him, and I guess he, like, gave her his business card, and then they ended up going on a date that night because I went to a party. Oh. But my phone died, so I couldn't call him and be like, hey, I'm about to come home. <laughs> so I guess I came home earlier than what he thought I was going to, and... I went to open up my apartment and he had done the deadbolt or like the, the latch. So I couldn't see like all the way in, but I could see the bed. And then, so I went to go get the doorman to cut it. And whenever the doorman went to cut it, I saw a naked girl get out of the bed. Oh yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> anyway, that's uh... God, and that was two weeks you said after your dad died. Yeah, I'm Pretty sure much. I'm sure that was something you really wanted to deal with. Yeah, it was um, intense. And I lost my job. <laughs> wow. Talk about a triple whammy. My gosh. And I had to take the LSAT. <laughs> oh. Quadruple yeah. quadruple whammy. It was fun. Well, uh, that'll do it for a very sombering <laughs> episode number nine. Uh thank you to to Lindsay, uh, who had the our first caller from New Jersey who had the postpartum um, issues with their child that, yeah. Uh, and then Lauren, obviously that we just heard, uh, from Chicago. Um, hopefully this is an intense episode. Yeah. This one's very much a grieving. I, I would say both calls revolved around grieving and everybody grieves differently. You just, you just don't know, but obviously someone that was close to her father as, as Lauren was. Yeah. I mean, it's never going to go away. She's never going to forget it. But it's just, yeah. it'll be a little bit easier each day. That's at least the way it was for me and my dog. So um, that'll do it for episode nine. Thank you very much, Ashley, for doing this. Um, and thank you for having me. We will be back uh, in a couple of weeks. So thank you all for listening. 
to the He Said, She Said podcast. If you want to be on a future episode, by all means, email myself or Ashley or DM us. However you want to get in touch with us. Tell us what uh, times on your end, when the best times for you to record are, and uh, and we'll, we'll figure out a time uh, to do that. So thank you very much uh, for all tuning in, and we will talk to you next week. See ya. Bye. He's telling me no. He's dragging me down. He's leading me on and stringing around.